Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everybody, to our first information referral session. Um, On behalf of the ERPS team, the information referral and peer support team, I'm Claire Stanley, the advocacy and outreach specialist in the National ACB office. Um, And the ERPS steering committee, IRPS, is really excited to start our monthly episode on, you know, information referral. That's what um, our steering committee is all about. It's getting information to you guys on any and all issues that impact the blind community in some way, shape, or form. So we thought it would be great for our inaugural episode to be on voting, because as we all know, the general election is coming up at the very beginning of November. So we wanted to educate our uh, listeners on what the rights of people who are blind and visually impaired look like as it pertains to voting. So the first portion of the the um, information referral podcast, or excuse me, community call, accidentally calling a podcast, will always be from a speaker. And our speaker will always be an ACB member because we want the information to come directly from ACB. So that'll be the first portion. We'll follow that up with Q&A. So if you guys have any questions about the topic that we talked about, uh, start thinking about those, keep those in mind, write them down, whatever you want to do, and we'll have a Q&A time. And then to finish up, about the last 10 minutes, give or take, I want to ask you guys what information referral topics you want our um, community calls to be on next month, the month after, so on and so forth, because that's what we're here for. We want to hear from you guys. So again, keep them in mind, write them down, whatever you want to do. That's what we'll spend about the last 10 minutes of every info every information referral call on. Um, So without further ado, I will introduce our first presenter of our ERPS uh, community calls. We have our very own Clark Rockfell. He is our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs in the uh, National ACB Office. Um, And he is here to talk to us all about voting. Uh, He's been working really hard on these issues, so he has some great information to impart to you guys. So we'll go ahead and let him get started. And Clark, um, to break the ice, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, and tell us um, what your favorite ice cream is. All right. Thank you so much, Claire, for that introduction. Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Clark Rockfall, and I am ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. And I, Claire, I kind of just want to launch into like the podcast introduction, even though this is a... Uh, community event. So I'm glad you made that that slip up so that I don't have to. (laughs) Uh, But as always, I do want to thank everyone listening on ACB radio, as well as the ACB radio team, as well as Cindy, Nat, and our community events team. And Lynn, thank you so much for helping uh, facilitate and host this meeting tonight. Oh, geez. I almost forgot. Favorite ice cream. Yep. Um, You know, to, I mean, I could just go on and on. Um, but my wife and I just got back from vacation in Colorado Springs, which is one of the first places that we live together. And there is a great local ice cream shop, Josh and John's in downtown Colorado Springs. And each year when Girl Scout cookies come out, they make a thin mint, mint chocolate chip. So that might be one of my favorites. That sounds amazing. So I, so I will say that. Awesome. Um, and I... 
if we're voting, I would give that ice cream two thumbs up. And voting is here what we're talking about tonight. So that was my poor attempt at a segue. Uh, ACB has been doing a ton of voting-related work in the past year. Um, This has surely been something going on within ACB and something our members have been paying attention to long before I've joined ACB. Um, My first day being February 11th, 2019. Um, And if it wasn't for ACB members and the broader disability community, um, we wouldn't have the voting rights and protections that we have today. Uh, So just quick rewind of history. The ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, Title II, um, provides equal access to programs and services for all people with disabilities, um, programs and services provided by the government. That extends to federal elections that are mandated by the federal government, funded by the federal government, and implemented by state and local governments. So this is where we, as people with disabilities, we could go to polling locations, we could receive assistance to mark and cast our ballot. If you look at your state or local voting laws, there still will be some provisions on the book that say, yes, you may have assistance but it may not come from your employer or your union rep, uh, which these days I think is uh, somewhat amusing. However, not amusing if that was your only option to cast a ballot. So through the hard work of ACB members and the cross-disability community, the Help America Vote Act was passed in 2002. And among other things, you know, confirming that polling locations must be accessible uh, based off of physical accessibility accommodations. This law also required that polling locations have at least one accessible ballot marking device and that poll workers be trained on the operation of that device. And this is really uh, my whole lifetime experience voting. You know, I'm old. I'm not that old, Claire. Sorry that when I started voting in 2004, 2006, 2008, it was always going to my local polling locations in in and around um, Annapolis, Maryland, and using the accessible ballot marking device, Um, using the, having the headphones, receiving the text to speech, using the little, whether it was a wheel or a number pad, and navigating the ballot, selecting, my voting choices, and then uh, printing and casting my ballot. Um, As as many of us know, this isn't always a 100% successful solution, um, but it certainly is a a vast improvement on requiring sighted assistance. This allows people who are blind or visually impaired to uh, more guarantees from HAVA to private and independently mark cast and verify your ballot. Clerk, verify, that's kind of a a big word. What do you mean? So verify, and the way it's done with um, most accessible ballot marking devices is when you are reading your ballot um, and selecting or marking your voting selections, Um, Before you print the ballot, you can go back and review 
what your voting selections were. And then in, in most cases, then you print the ballot after you verify it. And then you cast it by either putting it in a box or slipping it into a scanner. Um, but that also raises a potential sticky wicket. Um, what happens if you verify your ballot, everything looks good, but then you print it, how do you know what printed out? And uh, I'm sure someone on this call will correct me, but I believe there is at least one voting system out there. It may be ESNS, um, the express vote that after you print your ballot, you can scan it back in and have your ballot read to you. Uh, I'm sure I haven't looked at the participant list, but if there's like a Mike Godino or an expert here, they'll probably correct me on the uh, specific piece of equipment that can do that. But otherwise, it's up to the voter to trust that what they printed, what they verified and then printed is in fact accurate um, and that the printer had ink and all that fun stuff. And the uh, the poll worker, the poll volunteer, what if, you know, I print out my ballot and I'm walking over to the little insertion place or the ballot box? What if they look at my ballot? Are they allowed to do that? Not without your permission. So in most voting locations, they will have and provide you with an envelope for you to put your ballot in to maintain its privacy. Um, but with with the advent of um, you know in polling low place in excuse me in polling place and in person voting accessibility, um, you know there was a government accountability office report following the 2016 election that I believe was published in 2017, and of the survey that they completed, it was somewhere in the range of 60 percent of the polling locations that they checked had working accessible ballot marking devices and had uh, poll workers who were knowledgeable on how to operate the accessible ballot marking devices. So even with HAVA passed in 2002, we still have a lot of advocacy and educational work to do. And that's one of the reasons that it's so important that everyone vote at every opportunity we can to to maintain um, voting accessibility and also maintain a visible presence that these are important issues for people with disabilities. So Clark, I, what do I what do I do if I go to vote on November 3rd and the poll workers don't know what the accessible machines are? They don't know where they are, they don't know how to work them. What can I do? Oh, you're jumping ahead, Claire. Oh, um, I'm sorry. I'm just so anxious <laughs> to vote. <laughs> right? Uh, I think like many people, we're anxious for this election cycle to be done. Be over. <laughs> uh, but since Claire brought up November 3rd, I will just add that November 3rd, it is election day, but it is the last day that people are eligible to vote. So if possible, don't wait until November 3rd. Um, but if you can, and you're voting on November 3rd, and the polling location is either inaccessible or the poll workers are not knowledgeable, um, my first recommendation would be to contact your state protection and advocacy agency. And you can find those by visiting ndrn.org. You can find those by visiting the ACB Accessible Voting Toolkit, something that you'll hear me mention many times. 
I think the marketing rule is seven. So I'll say it at least seven times. And that's at acb.org slash voting um, or by going to your internet browser and just typing in the name of your state or disability rights in the name of your state or the name of your state protection and advocacy. Um, they are very interested to know what accessibility barriers they are. Um, so if you have any, please share them with them. And also, please share it with us. And there'll be more information on how to share your uh, voting experiences, good, bad, and otherwise, with ACB. Well, actually, Claire, you might as well just jump into it now. How do people share it with ACB? Sure. And to take one step back, Clark, the, the protection and advocacy offices are a great place to go. But if it's easier to remember, too, there's also just a blanket organization called Election Protection. So if you want to look that up, um, we can even get that phone number and share it on the voting page that Clark just talked about. So that's another place you can go to as well as the Election Protection. It rhymes. So you can remember that um, agency as well, and they can help with these issues. Um, but yeah, for folks that want to and folks who we're encouraging to report your voting experiences to ACB, Claire? Yeah, so we definitely want to hear. Now, fingers and toes crossed, we won't hear from you because we don't want you guys to have negative experiences. But if you have any issues that arise and you have issues starting from the beginning um, with registering to vote all the way through um, November 3rd, whether you vote in person or you vote via absentee ballot, if you have any accessibility issues, so any, any type of discrimination um, that's related to your visual impairment, we want to know about it, not because we want to hear sad stories, but because we want to keep these stories and use them for future advocacy. So we can say, in this, for instance, in the state of Louisiana, we saw X pattern. And so if you guys have stories and you're willing to share them, please email them into voting at acb.org. Pretty easy to remember, voting at acb.org. We'll also put that up on the voting page at acb.org. Um, soon we'll send out directions with um, more specific information that will be helpful for us. So a little bit more um, criteria for how it would be most helpful for us to hear your stories. But if nothing else, just email us at that email address and let us know what happened. Thank you, Claire. Uh, so I think ACB would have been paying a lot of attention to the election and voting in this presidential year uh, because, it, because it is a presidential year, because there are elections in all 50 states and territories. Um, however, there's an interesting wrinkle added this year being a global pandemic. And beginning in the spring, states started implementing executive orders, uh, re-examining how they would conduct elections, not only for the primaries in the spring and summer, but also here in the fall. And that kind of turned everything on its head because the states and local governments, they were trying to implement one-size-fits-all solutions, uh, which did not take into account the individual needs of voters and especially the individual needs of voters with disabilities. So for example, um, some states, especially in the primaries, they were canceling in-person voting altogether. Um, so how do you have access to an accessible ballot marking device if you don't have access to a polling location? And with regards to remote absentee voting, and you'll hear me use that phrase a lot because it, in some states, absentee voting is synony synonymous with in-person um, in early voting. 
So remote absentee voting is similar to vote by mail um, when voters are able to not only vote early, but also do so from a remote location like their house. So some states began emailing, excuse me, not emailing. Oh, <laughs> we'll touch that third rail in a little bit. Um, began Don't mailing, go there. <laughs> mailing uh, paper ballots and paper voter registration forms to all residents of the state. That's great. That significantly expands um, voter access, voter engagement. There are folks who always have to struggle with, do they take time off of work to vote? Um, so that is a great measure to increase the availability um, for voting for millions of Americans. However, that also significantly decreases the likelihood that people with disabilities, and especially people who are blind and low vision, will be able to vote on their own if you are asking them to register and to vote with a paper ballot or a paper registration form um, and to do so with you know, wet ink. So, you know, it's, it's one of those... It's one of those things where there's a disconnect, where with Hava, we have the recognition that Claire and I, as people who are blind and low vision, have the right to an accessible ballot marking device in the polling location. However, to do the same task, to cast a ballot um, outside of the polling location, there's currently no requirement uh, within federal voting law for accessible voting. And that's really been the the crux or the thrust of the ACB national and ACB state affiliates advocacy work um, here this year. And we've been working closely with the cross disability community uh, when necessary and when possible. We've also been working with state governments. Um, it's always easier when you can bring an issue to a state and the decision is made that we can all work collaboratively together. So for example, in West Virginia, when ACB, the Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, as well as the National Council on Independent Living, the Mountain State Council of the Blind, um, we approached the Secretary of State for West Virginia and pointed out this problem. And initially there was some back and forth, and then they realized that, you know what, we're right. And there's a significant need to expand access to accessible um, absentee voting in the state of West Virginia. And we were able to work together to pass a law that Governor Justice signed, I believe, on February 3rd of this year. And the wild thing about that is it predated COVID. So who would have thought a uh, little <laughs> small but mighty state of West Virginia, a trailblazer in expanding um, accessible absentee voting statewide you know and west virginia is also a special case because they are expanding a system that they're using for their uniform and overseas citizens or their uacava voters that allows people in the military and citizens leaving over living overseas to electronically using a computer or a smartphone to receive mark verify and cast their ballots, the whole thing. They, they can do it electronically. 
And now voters with disabilities have access to that same system in West Virginia. The ACB and other organizations have also filed uh, complaints to the disability rights section of the US Department of Justice. We've done that in Idaho, as well as the state of New York. And the Department of Justice, um, they are, how should we say this, Claire? They, they are carefully considering those complaints. Is that, is that fair? You know, sometimes the government moves a little bit slower than other, other agencies, but that doesn't mean it's disappeared. It just means mm -hmm. it's working at a different rate. <laughs> Exactly. Um, there are other states where the the elected officials or the uh, um, you know the the folks working in the administration or the board of elections have been less um, less cooperative. You know, they don't embody those ACB core values um, of collaboration, um, you know, and and fair dealing. So in in some cases, we've had to file lawsuits on the ACB in a couple states like New York and Virginia. ACB, the state affiliate for ACB, as well as the state affiliate for NFB, are in the lawsuits together because this is, these are issues that impact all people who are blind and low vision. So it's an area that we can collaborate and work together. And in general, this has been a, a pretty successful way to expand access um, to remote accessible absentee voting. I will, I will add though, so we had, that it, we had the example of West Virginia where they now have a, a fully electronic system where people with disabilities can receive, mark, and cast their ballot electronically. However, in most states, um, electronic ballot return is something that gives them pause for cybersecurity reasons. So the vast majority of cases where we've been able to expand access to accessible remote absentee voting, that has allowed for electronic ballot delivery to the voter. Um, the voter can use their assistive technology to mark that ballot but then there's still the requirement to print the ballot, um, sign it, and depending on the state or locality, you either have to mail it in with a postmark from the US Postal Service. In some cases, you can drop it in a, um, a mail drop box that is scattered around the voting precinct. And in other cases, you can hand deliver the ballot. So it's really important for voters to be educated on the system that is used in their local area. Sir, can you talk about with the system in their local area? I know some states have different policies. They'll send you an envelope if you register to do it electronically, but you have to sign them. And some, they have tactile ways of knowing where to sign, some mm -hmm. don't. Can you talk about the different things we've seen? Absolutely. So like Claire referenced, when a voter is going to vote remote absentee, even if you're going to do it with an accessible system um, where you receive your ballot electronically and you have to complete your ballot electronically and then print it, in most cases, the Board of Elections will still mail you a return envelope and a privacy envelope. Um, and there, 
may also be a uh, basically like a signed affidavit of you know you are who you say you are you're completing this ballot and um, that you are waiving your right to a private ballot because once you fold your ballot along with this affidavit and you put it in the privacy envelope in most cases you have to sign the privacy envelope and in some states like California, they put two hole punches into the envelope so you know where to sign. You sign between the whole, two hole punches. Some jurisdictions just ask you to sign the back of the ballot or the back of the affidavit paper before folding it and putting it into the envelope. So it really, um, it's really important to check with your local board of election on how the system works in your state or even your local area. But once you have the the ballot printed and put into the privacy envelope, then you put that into the larger mailing envelope. And again, in, in some jurisdictions, that larger mailing envelope is already, already has the return address label and the paid postage. So it's just up for you, up to you to either get it into the hand of your postal worker or drop it into a mailbox or get it to a post office so that it can be returned. And to go into, again, just to reemphasize, like Clark said, do your homework, because in some locales, you can drop it off at your Board of Elections office, which can be different than a polling site. So some say yes to one or the other or both or no. So unfortunately, fortunately, however you look at it, it's so inconsistent. Yeah. So that's and that's just a sample of the advocacy work we've been doing. Um, Claire and I with the ACB advocacy team at the national office, we've spoken with, geez, at least two dozen of our state affiliates, as well as individual ACB members and voters um, from various states. We've seen a lot of progress made um, in many states, you know, such as, uh, geez, Maine, Massachusetts, um, New York, some progress, and then a little bit of back backstepping. But we'll still New York. New York is still in a better place now than it was before we began this advocacy work. So that's a win. Um, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, the District of Columbia, Virginia, West Virginia, uh, North Carolina, still pending. Uh, more on that hopefully here sometime soon. Uh, great progress in Florida as well as Kentucky um, and Illinois. So yeah, there, there's been a lot of really good improvements and just really big awareness that would not have come about if not for the work of individual voters, ACB members, our state affiliates, our cross-disability partners, um, and you know, even from time to time, the work of Claire Stanley herself. With that advocacy work- Thanks, Claire. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. With that advocacy work, it would all be for naught if individuals um, don't know how to vote and don't take advantage of the systems in place here for the upcoming general election. And again, the last day to vote this year is November 3rd. So ACB, while we're still consulting with uh, some of our state affiliates as their situations evolve and progress, We've also started to place a big focus on how can we educate individual voters. Um, and Claire's done a lot of work in that realm. We've also been working very closely um, and are a founding member of the National Coalition on Accessible Voting. 
And you can check out their website on ncavoting.org. We've also incorporated the Plan Your Vote um, checklist within the ACB Accessible Voting Toolkit, which again is acb.org slash voting. And this Plan Your Vote kind of checklist, it really walks through the steps and provides useful links on how to check if you are registered to vote, where you can go to view a sample ballot so that the first time you're seeing the candidates' names or any ballot initiatives isn't when you're there at the polling location. We also have links um, to, again, the National Disability Rights Network at ndrn.org and their page that help, can help you find the protection and advocacy organization within your state, locality, or territory. And we've also included helpful information from both the Election Assistance Commission, the EAC, and the Centers for D Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Uh, because whether you want to vote remote absentee or vote in person, we want to make sure that uh, our ACB members and voters broadly can do so safely and effectively. So uh, one more item that Claire asked me to touch on here. Um, and it's a, it's a big part of remote absentee voting is that the ballots are verified by a voter's signature, a, a wet signature in most cases. You signed with ink from a pen, you know, preferably Skillcraft and through the Ability One program. Um, but they match the signature and the characteristics of the signature on the ballot and the affidavit with the signature you have on file once you registered to vote. Now, some folks may have acquired their disability later in life, or at least later than when they registered. And for some folks, if, if you're like me, your vision's just slowly getting worse day by day. Um, so your signature may be different. And if that's a concern for you, um, we really encourage you to contact your board of elections. Again, the same folks that you would contact uh, to make sure that you have the correct understanding of the voting requirements within your state and local jurisdiction and ask them about signature curing. And in, in some cases, um, Claire, you said that you've heard stories that the Board of Elections have not necessarily required folks to re-register, but have allowed folks to provide or cure their signature. So in other words, provide a new signature Exactly. For their existing voter registration so that they can be confident the signature they're adding to their ballot is matches or is similar enough to the voting to the signature that they have on file with their voter registration. And just to you know, clarify, it's not going to help all of us because I know for me, my signature probably looks different every single time. And my sight, you know, I lost my sight many, many years ago. But for many, you know, losing your vision um, is a, a process. You know, your vision is one looks one uh, is one way, and then ten years later, it's another way. So if you registered, you know, X amount of years ago, and now your vision has has gotten worse, this is a, a potential. Um, 
thing that can really help to say, look, this is the reason my my signature looks different than it did when I registered 10 years ago. And because of uh, implicit bias that we've all heard, been hearing a lot about this year, many states have the requirement now that if they do not accept qualify a remote absentee ballot um, based off of the signature or for any other reason, they have to let the voter know. So as part of the voting process, not only do we want to receive, um, mark, verify, and cast our ballot, but we want to follow up, especially if we're voting remote absentee with our board of elections to make sure that that ballot was received and that it was counted successfully. And that is a reason why it is, um, you know, again, ever so important to contact your board of elections, become educated as a voter, create that plan on how, uh, and not so aggressively, but how you're going to attack this election, you know, how you're going to develop that plan to be successful. And we really want to encourage everyone again, vote as early as possible, because that way, if there is a problem with casting your ballot or your voter registration, you'll have time to address that and still make sure that your vote is successfully cast and that your voice is heard and that the voice of the disability community is heard. Yeah, before we, we jump to, to questions, I just wanna tell a statistic I heard. Um, this isn't just the blind community, this is the entire disability community, but I heard a statistic recently that 2.2 million persons with disabilities didn't vote in the last election um, for all kinds of different reasons. So if that 2.2 million you know, Americans with disabilities vote, it can have a huge impact. So uh, we just really encourage everybody, like Clark says, make a plan, um, find out how you're going to do it, and go out and vote. Um, great. Yeah. So I think we have about 15 minutes now. We can take questions. So um, yeah, are you ready, Clark? Sure. And, and as um, Lynn has people raise their hands and get in the question queue, I'll just add that in general, the last election, 2016, only 60% of eligible voters voted in the U.S. Um, so we're around a nation of around 330 million people, give or take. Um, that 2.2%, you know, that's a little bit less than 1%. Um, but I will say it's not all bad news, Claire. You know, you did a Facebook Live for National Voter Registration Day, and we shared some information um, across ACB social media. And we received outreach today that a million and a half Americans uh, registered or renewed their voter registration based off of outreach for National Voter Registration Day. That's so I think, awesome. I yes. love that. So I, I think voting has caught the spotlight not only for the disability community, but for mm -hmm. Americans as a whole, this election cycle. And that's exciting. Okay, we have several questions. <clears throat> the first one is Lori Scharf. Lori, you may unmute. Hi, Clark and Claire. Um, it's the auto mark, by the way, um, that there you go. allows you to. <laughs> I yelled across the room to Mike. Mark, how are you? And the other thing I wanted to mention that sometimes confuses people when if you have the option to remote vote electronically using, you know, your own <clears throat> computer with your own adaptive technology, you have to resize the ballot. So when you print, because most unless you have 
print a printer that can do um, what is it? I always forget the size. The 11 by 11 by 14, as opposed yeah, the to legal the legal size. Right. If it, if, if I mean, if you have that option, you can certainly print your ballot that way. Otherwise, you're going to have to resize it so it fits on eight and a half by 11. And it may, um, you know, print a little differently. People should be aware that when you resize your ballot in that situation, those ballots then are hand canvassed. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like if you're in a state where you're able to track the status of your vote, that might be why your ballot looks delayed or something like that. And Lori, um, just to elaborate, what do you mean by hand canvassed? Oh, I'm sorry. Counted by election officials instead of just stuck into a scanner and counted. Mm -hmm. And that's because the scanners that are used cannot count it because it would be seen as a, a ballot that's compromised or different. Right. Also, and oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and it, um, Lori brings up a great point that, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're kind of building, <laughs> building the, the car or the boat while we're driving it or pilot, piloting it. So states are figuring out how to do this while they are implementing the systems. And we, ACB, you know, we are very fortunate to have very engaged members like Lori and Mike and the other members of ACB of Virginia to provide that real-time feedback, as well as you know, um, Karen Blackwoods, Karen Gorgi, the members of ACB of New York, as well as all the other states that um, the ACB affiliates are involved. And that's exactly the sort of feedback that um, the cross-disability community needs to provide, as well as what we're looking for folks to provide to voting at acb.org with your voting experience. You know, let us know what worked, let us know what didn't work uh, and where areas that your state and localities may improve. Claire? And, and one other thing, I won't take time because we want to go to our next question, but Lori brought up a great point that you can track your ballot if you submit it that way. Let us know yet another story you can tell us about whether it's accessible or not. I'm very curious to know if the tracking process in your state is accessible. So feel free to share stories with that too. Okay, Mary, you may, you're unmuted. Okay. So um, Claire and Clark, first of all, thank you so, so, so much for doing this presentation because um, we are at a pivotal moment and um, this is just such an important time. Um, and I want to thank everyone for advocating for accessible voting because it's just, you know, it's so important to be able to do this independently. Um, my question is, you know, in past years, I've, you know, gone in person to the polls. Um, we do have a way to do um, mail-in ballot um, accessibly, however, for those of us that either have technical issues with printers or anything, or may not have a printer. Um, and if we're not comfortable having somebody help us vote by mail, and we want to be independent, we may um, have to go to the polls. My question to you, and I'll make this quick, is um, you know how um, there is a little bit of paperwork you have to fill out prior to actually voting. And um, I'm, in previous years, um, I would get, um, I, I don't know what they would call it, but it's somebody would help me fill out the paperwork and then I would sign on the bottom saying, yes, I received assistance, um, but yes, mm -hmm. this is me. And then I go and mm -hmm. I vote. My question is, 
would I still be able to get that assistance even this year during COVID? Will there still be people there? And, um, yeah, you know, what I, I, I guess worst comes to worst. Also, if where I'm going, cause I've never gone to this location before, if their machine mm-hmm. is having accessibility issues, would you recommend along with reporting it to the state? Um, also going to another location because this is too important of an issue to just, you know, let go, obviously. Thank you guys. Thanks Mary. And those are all uh, very real questions and real concerns that, that we all are facing um, especially this year. And the best answer we can provide is to contact your board of elections ahead of time to ask them whether there will be um, assistance available, you know, due to the pandemic um, and the the changes in procedures and protocols. Uh, they may have changed how they are offering assistance. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a tough one, Claire. As far as getting legal assistance, though, uh, again, you can contact the Election Protection Agency, and mm-hmm. they're supposed to respond the day of. So they're not one of those things where, you know, a bureaucracy where you file your complaint and te- six weeks later they respond. No, they are supposed to respond the day of. Now, if the polling place closes at 9 o'clock and you go at 8.59, probably going to have some trouble. So definitely go early if you can and, you know, plan ahead. But the election protection uh, phone numbers are supposed to respond the day of. Um, so make a plan, but do know that you do have that assistance. Yeah, and even as when you are going to vote in person, um, it, it sounds like Mary, you may have a a new polling location because they may have consolidated polling locations. I know that's certainly Claire something that's happening where you live in Maryland, yeah. where they're now having like larger voting centers at high schools. And I know in the the polling location for in person voting closest to me has moved. Um, so I'm certainly hoping to to use the new accessible electronic system here in Virginia. Um, but again, a, a conversation to have with the Board of Elections, confirm that the accessible ballot marking machine will be available, um, confirm what assistance you will need and whether they will be providing that service. And then like Claire said, either contact election protection or contact your state protection and advocacy agency. Okay, we have Doug Powell, you are unmuted. Hi. Um, well, uh, to to tack on to what you were just said, uh, call. I, I tried calling the uh, Fairfax County uh, Board of Elections this morning, and was on hold for about five minutes, and finally decided that I would wait and see if I got the envelopes in the mail before I called to find out how I do it electronically. But um, so don't wait until the last minute to call the uh, the your uh, your locality Board of Elections either. Um, to find out any information that you want, because we aren't the only mm. ones who are calling in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think if we start. learn anything from this year, it's that work ahead of plan, ahead of time, ahead of time, ahead of time. Way ahead. Right. Yeah, yeah it's it, a big learning. Especially for because year. transportation looks different right now as well. So if you are going in person, you also want to have a plan of how you're going to get to and from the polling location. The, the thing that I wanted to ask Clark is on your, on the website, do you have uh, Tracy Soforenko sent uh, out a 
um, a, a link to a website where you could um, pre-test the uh, electronic balloting system. Oh. You hadn't seen I, that? Uh -uh. I don't I know if we've yet. seen. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen that, Doug. All right. so if, I, I if will like forward to that to you us, tonight or tomorrow morning. Yep. That would I be will, great. Stuff. And um, because we're talking about uh, voting systems, I will place a plug for a community event coming up on Thursday, October 1st. We will have representatives from Democracy Live, which is providing the accessible absentee voting system, I believe, in 20 or 21 different states for this election. They will provide a demo of their omni-ballot system and answer any questions that voters may have. So please join us on, at 7.30 on Thursday, October 1st for the session with Democracy Live. Which is this Thursday. <laughs> yes. Two days from now, yep. <laughs> right. Exactly. We're piling on the voting. Okay. Um, Pam, coffee. Yes, uh, a quick comment and a hopefully quick question. The comment is that in, in my area, I'm from Alabama. And uh, first of all, I, I have had some horrible experiences in the past trying to vote. So I hope it goes better this year. But my comment is that in my particular county, they are phasing out the auto mark machines in favor of something new and supposedly improved called express vote. And, you know, they're saying a lot of good things about it. I just hope it all pans out. Now, my question is, uh, since there are supposedly security issues with delivering with sending a ballot a completed ballot electronically what guarantee do the people in the military who are overseas or people with disabilities who might um, want to deliver their ballot electronically what guarantees do they have that their ballot is going to be secure and their ballot is going to count if the rest if the rest of the people don't have that guarantee october is it wednesday yes pam that is a, yes. a very astute observation and question <laughs> so if i can just rephrase um yes. so people in uniformed military and overseas voters have been able um, in some cases to vote electronically or fax receive and fax return their ballot for 10 to 20 years, uh, which is fabulous. But the, the cybersecurity crowd is very concerned about expanding that further beyond the limited number of military and overseas voters. They, they raise the issue that electronic ballot return is not secure and that the votes could be manipulated um, basically in midstream. So for example, while that email is being sent, 
that is a true and legitimate concern for the Uacaba voters as well. Um, I'll also add, though, that there are voting concerns with voting in person, whether your vote is counted correctly or not. Also, voting remotely with paper ballots, whether those ballots are correctly uh, delivered and counted. And we've heard all too many stories, whether it was Bush v. Gore in 2000 in Florida, uh, the 9th Congressional District in North Carolina just a few years ago, or even the primary elections in Wisconsin about folks who either had difficulty voting or their votes were just cast aside and not counted. So I, we agree with you and we make the argument all the time that voting security is just as important as voter accessibility. Um, you know, if you're going to expand voting access, it needs to be safe and secure. But while that said, you shouldn't use security as a mechanism or a tool to suppress the vote of people who need an accessible option. Well, I okay. think we have time for one more question. Yes, Diane Scalzi, you are unmuted. Hey, thank you. And thank you, uh, Clark and Claire, for for bringing us this presentation. Um, I think that the situation here in Michigan is definitely a work in progress. Um, mm -hmm. We had a website, you know, where, we, where you could go and either apply for a normal absentee ballot or an accessible absentee ballot. And um, my husband and, and I each applied for the accessible absentee ballot. And um, I think on Monday, we each got a call from someone from the Board of Elections asking us because they've already mailed our absentee ballots out. In fact, mine came like yesterday or day before. Um, so they asked us if we were going to vote with the accessible absentee ballot, which we would have to print out on our computers. And... Um, so we both said that we would, and they're going to cancel the uh, absentee ballots that they sent us. Well, then I asked, well, what kind? we aren't going to have envelopes to put these ballots in. What are we supposed to do? And I, I'm not sure that I think they're still working on that. I think I might have thrown them a, a curve. Um, so I, I and they, they even suggested we might need to provide our own envelopes. Oh, so geez. I will be anxious to see what kind of instructions we get when we actually get the link to the uh, ballot that we would complete. I mean, I'm concerned about it. Uh, I bet. And that's, um, that is exactly the type of story that, I mean, hopefully we only hear good stories, right, Claire? But that's exactly the sort of thing yep. and that sort of problem that in the national office, we're hoping that our members are able to identify and share with us at voting at acb.org. Yeah, please, however it pans out, please share that story with us. We'd, we'd love to hear good, bad, or indifferent what the outcome is. So, And of course, um, like Claire said, the election protection, um, please feel free to reach out to them and also keep your state protection and advocacy agency informed uh, because they are, they are charged 
with in, ensuring elections are accessible um, and looking out for the rights of disabled voters. So it's something that they are very passionate about and take very seriously and will act diligently upon. Great. So we have about seven minutes left. Um, so if you have any voting questions, you can lower your hands. I want people now to raise their hands. If you have issues that you would like uh, the information referral uh, steering committee to talk about in the future. So tonight we talked about voting. Uh, I can tell you next month in October, we're going to be talking about Title I work accommodations because October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, a uh, long title. So we'll be talking about Title I work accommodations. So those are the kinds of things we want to provide information. So again, we have probably six minutes now. If you have any topics you would like us to cover, please feel free to speak out now. And if you have anything that comes up, you can always reach me at the national office as well and let me know. Um, but in our last five, six minutes, if anybody wants to, to give a shout out, please let me know. So far, I don't see any hands raised. Okay, that is okay. In our no. last five minutes, if we don't have any hands, we can take probably one more voting question then, okay. if we have any of those. <laughs> okay, I'm... I don't see anybody. Okay. Do you have any last words of wisdom in voting, Clark? My last words of advice will be vote early and vote often. Um, and also... Often <laughs> in every election, not multiple times yeah. in one election. <laughs> uh, I no married, my, yeah, my wife is from Chicago. What can I say? Um, <laughs> no, please... Uh, develop a plan, put, put the time and effort in place to develop your plan early and understand how, um, how, where, and when you're able to vote in your state and local um, jurisdiction. And again, please join us Thursday evening, this Thursday, October 1st at 7.30 p.m. for a community event with Democracy Live as they demo the Omni Ballot solution. Thank you so much for everybody joining our first information referral um, meeting, our community event. We're really excited to have everybody. Um, check, us, check us out next month. Like I said, we're more talking about Title I work accommodations. Reach out if you want us to cover anything else, and we'll give you these last few minutes back. So thank you, everybody. It was great to have you. Thanks, Claire.